With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. KFI AM 640. You're listening to How to Money on demand on the iHeartRadio app. This is How to Money. I am Joel Larsgaard. And today we are going to talk about a lot of things personal finance. If you stick around uh, towards the end of the show, I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, Dean Sharp just gave some nice and inspiring words about kind of uh, loving each other and the way we have discourse in the country. I agree with him. There's one company I really, really dislike, and I'm going to talk smack about them at the end of the show. So sorry, Dean, for violating your rules. Uh, But we're also going to talk about the banking system. What's going on with the banking system in this country? Last week on the show, there we were kind of in the middle of it. Right, so I did my best to talk about, hey, here's what's happening, and then here's how you should react. But we know a lot more now, so I want to talk about that for a good bit of the show. There's a lot of things that we can do as individual consumers in light of what's happening to the banking system. We will discuss on the show today. Also, there are more and more predictions of a recession coming along. And there's a whole lot of talking heads on CNBC that predict recessions um, on an almost weekly basis, it feels like. There's uh, a saying that economists have predicted nine out of the last five recessions, meaning they talk about recessions a lot, but fewer of them actually come about. So how should you react in light of more and more prognostication in the recession direction? We'll talk about that. Uh, Also, I want to talk about spending smarter. It's one of those things we spend money almost every day. Right. And, and unless uh, unless you just like sleep one off on a Saturday or something like that, most of us are spending money. How do we do it more effectively in a smarter way? We'll talk about that on today's show as well. But let's talk about banking first, because, yeah, a lot happened <laughs> since last Sunday's show. We knew last Sunday, a week ago, that SVB, Silicon Valley Bank, was the second largest bank collapse in U.S. history. But. While I was yapping into the microphone, there was a lot of stuff happening behind the scenes. There, the FDIC, the Federal Reserve, they were all trying to figure a bunch of stuff out. And it wasn't just SVB. That was catching most of the high, uh, headlines. But Signature Bank also failed. So we, we had two banks go belly up. Basically, the second and third biggest bank busts in the history of our country. Number one being Washington Mutual back in 2008. I was a WAMU customer, so I remember that. WAMU had, that was a great bank. But sadly, they no longer, they, they no longer exist. They've been, they've been gone for 15 years now. And then First Republic was this other bank, the regional banks in particular. Our country does banking differently than some of the other countries around the world. And so a lot of these regional banks have, they serve a specific customer base really well. And these small and mid-sized companies are able to get better service, better funding from a lot of small and regional banks than they are with the biggest banks in the country. And so the, the biggest companies often benefit from relationships with the biggest banks, but a lot of the smaller and medium-sized ones, not as much. So being with a local bank or with a credit union or even with a regional bank means they're going to get the service they need from the bankers they do business with. So 
uh, I want to talk quickly. I don't want to just play a blame game, but I do want to talk about how this happened and kind of what led to this to a certain degree. And and next, in just a few minutes, I want to talk about how exactly we should react as individuals. Because I'm getting emails right and left. People are saying, should I be changing banks? Hey, you talk about doing business with this bank and this bank and this bank, and I'll talk to you about which banks I like. Has your advice changed? And the answer is is no, my advice hasn't changed. We'll get to that in a second. But let's talk about where some of the blame goes. And there's a lot to go around. And I think it's really easy to blame one entity or one person and to point fingers. But really, this spectacular collapse had a bunch of different players involved. And so the federal government, I will say, played a role. Think about all the money that was flung into the financial system and into the accounts of Americans nationwide. This created a real problem. We created kind of a sugar high in the economy as a whole. A lot of spending went up. The stock market obviously soared after that uh, catastrophic collapse at the very beginning of COVID as businesses were actually doing quite well. And a lot of these Silicon Valley-based businesses in particular were doing quite well. And so that created a real problem. It led to the much higher levels of inflation that we've seen. That last stimulus bill, uh, the, the the checks that went out, the money that went into people's accounts, kind of threw fire, uh, fuel onto a fire that was already raging. And so that led to some of the part, part of the problem at least, part of the problem, because then what has to happen, the Federal Reserve, another player in this whole situation, their job is now to crush inflation. But they sat on their hands too long. And we kind of knew inflation was becoming a problem but the Federal Reserve wasn't doing anything. And we kept, that was when we were hearing the word transitory, transitory, transitory. Do you remember that? It was like, hey, this, yeah, inflation's happening, but this isn't, this isn't going to last long. This is, supply, this is a supply chain issue. That's what's going on here. And so letting inflation get to 6%, calling it transitory for months on end, put them in the position where they had to react quickly and forcefully. And when you have to react quickly and forcefully, things are more likely to break, right? And so, don't get me wrong, inflation needs to be tamed. But going from zero to 60 in no time, that had downstream effects. That is part of what led to the issues in the banking sector. And this is one of them, right? We, we just, the truth is we haven't seen a, an interest rate tightening cycle like this in the last 50 years. And so many of these banks were unprepared. Should they have been prepared? Yeah. So there's blame to go there as well. But you can't sit here and say, that it is just the fault of the people in charge of Silicon Valley Bank or in charge of some of these some of these regional banks. There are other things at play. The whole financial system, it's, there's a lot of interconnectedness. And I think if the Fed had reacted a little sooner, a little less violently, had done it more like in a slow but sure manner, what happened to SVB? It might not have happened at all. Interest rates were too low for too long. We were living on that sugar high. Now it's wearing off and we're bearing the brunt. That doesn't mean, though, that SVB, the people in charge at Silicon Valley Bank, the people in charge at these regional banks, that they bear no responsibility. They made some bad calls. They weren't taking on 2008-level risky bets, but they made some bad calculations on the interest rate front, and that came back to bite them, too. So, that, and it's the customers of the bank, too, the Silicon Valley elites. They played a role in this as well. A lot, of, a lot of those depositors, they didn't pay attention to FDIC insurance limits. And there are ways around that, which we're going to talk about next in just a second. But 
some of these individuals and companies had so much money stored at this bank and they're thinking that they, they're not thinking about the, the insurance aspect of it, which as a company, you have to be thinking about stuff like that. And, and I think if it wasn't for the Twitter Slack interconnectedness of Silicon Valley and the run on the bank, $42 billion in one day, the freaking out, like would Silicon Valley Bank still be around? It, 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 might, it might have been, right? That herd mentality led to something like, I think a million dollars a second being taken out of the bank, which was unsustainable. So there's a lot of blame to go around. And I think knowing the background can be helpful when we're trying to decipher how this impacts the economy and us as individuals now and moving forward. And as one analyst said, they said the glass half empty view is that banks need a lot of money. The glass half full view is that the system worked as intended. And I think both things are true. Both things are true, right? The system worked, it held. The FDIC insurance system is steady. Banks also need a lot of money. They need a cash infusion and the Federal Reserve is there for that. I just want to clarify one thing. A lot of folks are using the term bailout. If you want to split hairs, well, this is not technically a bailout. The institution, these bank institutionally, they're gone. The stockholders are wiped out. The presidents and the people on staff at these banks, they're, they're, they're done. And so that's important to make that distinction, right? I will say, I wanted to explain it as best I could. I'm no banking expert. I'm a personal finance guy. So let's talk about uh, what, how you should respond to the situation. And mostly I want to talk about the most common personal finance questions that I'm getting in the aftermath of kind of what happened in this banking kerfuffle. How should you respond? We'll talk about it next. I just did my best Jason Middleton impersonation <laughs> just a second ago, trying to cover some of the macro aspect of what happened in the past week when it comes to the state of banking in America. I'm sure Jason's going to do a much better job here at uh, two o'clock. So stick around, make sure you tune in for business time. And uh, But let's get to the thing that I'm most interested in and most interested in helping you think through is how what's happening in the banking system, specifically in the United States of America right now, how that impacts your personal finances. By the way, so I'm going to cover a couple of like co most commonly asked questions, the things I've heard from How to Money listeners who are saying like, what do I do now? How does this impact me? What kind of changes should I make? And by the way, if you have a question and you're like, you didn't get to mine, I've got a really big one. And I would love, I would love your, your insight on it. You can follow me at How to Money Joel on Twitter and you can shoot me a question there and hopefully I'll, I'll tackle it later on in the episode or even this segment. Like I'm, I'm on there, I'm checking. So holler at me if you have a question. But the one of the biggest questions that people have is, is my money safe? And there, interestingly enough, people are doing a lot of things. They're acting as though they don't believe their money is safe. And so I do want to calm the fears of normal everyday people and say, yes, yes, your money is safe. If you have cash in a bank that's under the FDIC insurance limits, and if your money is at a bank that has that FDIC insurance. So here's the other thing to note, like every single depositor at Silicon Valley Bank at these banks that went bust, including those who had significantly more than that, than that amount of money in savings or in those accounts, they got their money back. So <laughs> it's, we talk about those FDIC insurance limits, and I think it's really, really wise 
for people to make sure they don't have more than 250k in an individual account. And we'll talk about actually ways to have to to get greater levels of coverage, but I think it's wise for you if you have more than that to abide by these other rules and to not assume that a bailout of the depositors at Silicon Valley Bank is going to happen anytime there's a bank bust. So staying under those FDIC insured limits is really, really important. And it's interestingly enough, the FDIC has been around since 1933 and no one who has money below that FDIC insured limit has ever lost money. So I think that should inspire a whole lot of confidence. The way federal authorities reacted to these banking uh, mess ups and the reality that in 90 years, nobody's lost a penny when a bank went bust. If they had under, uh, if they had enough money that was that was less than those FDIC insured limits. So $250,000, that's the limit. Make sure your bank, and you can always look it up at FDIC.gov, has FDIC insurance. Okay? What do you do if you have more than $250,000? liquid in savings. And I mentioned last week, there were stories already going around, around about Giannis, who is, uh, I believe they call him the Greek Greek freak. He's a basketball player and he has 50 different accounts so that he can have insurance on all his assets. He's got way more money than you and I, right? So he is balling literally and figuratively. And what he is doing with his money, he is spreading it around to a bunch of different institutions. That way, every single dollar he has is covered by FDIC insurance. That works. That's one way to do it. Granted, most, most of us, you and I probably don't have that problem. But you can also get more coverage in a couple of different ways that's worth mentioning. If you're married, for example, you can have an account in each of your names plus a joint account. That will give you a million dollars worth of coverage because you get 250, 250 for each of your individual accounts and you get $500,000 worth of FDIC coverage for the joint account. A lot of people don't know that. So you can have a lot of liquid cash in one bank and still be covered if you go that route. Also, investment firms like Fidelity and Schwab, they're great choices for banking too. Brokerages like Fidelity, they join with FDIC insured banks to increase the coverage that they can offer to clients in cash management accounts or CMAs. And so Fidelity, for instance, and I guarantee you a lot of these banks are going to be increasing this and they're going to be emailing you about it. A lot of these brokerage firms as well, they're going to say, hey, listen, we found ways to increase the coverage because it's the concern of a lot of people. Fidelity cash management accounts can offer more than a million dollars in protection because of the banking relationships that they have. So that is interesting to note. If you do business with one of those low-cost brokerage firms that I love, that I talk about all the time when it comes to investing, well, guess what? It might be a good place just to store funds as well, like funds that you want saved. Here's a big question a lot of people are asking me, should I switch banks? And the answer is maybe. It depends where you bank. And, and not for the reason that you might think. It, interestingly enough, billions and billions and billions of dollars from individuals is floating right now from a lot of these regional banks to the big four. Bank of America mentioned, I think they got $15 billion in two days. And Chase, Wells Fargo, and and City, I don't think they've quite announced exactly how much, but we're estimating that billions and billions of dollars are flowing into accounts at those institutions as well, at the biggest banks in the country. Is that a good idea? I don't think so. I don't like that. 
I'm not a fan of the big banks because granted, yeah, maybe from a convenience standpoint, they have a brick and mortar on every corner and you can go in if you want to. When's the last time you went into a bank? It's been a long time for me. And even if I did have one around the corner, I probably like I wouldn't go in. I want people to do business with the banks that offer the best benefits, the best perks, as well as that FDIC coverage. There's no need to flock to the largest brand name, brand name banks. Okay. And I think people think uh, they, they want to go to a brand name bank because they assume that is the safe place to be. There's no additional safety. Like I said, 90 years, nobody's lost money in FDIC insured bank accounts. Why would you go to one of these banks that doesn't necessarily like you and doesn't offer you great interest rates? Doesn't They're going to fee you <laughs> on most of those accounts every single month. Why would you want to go there? I don't like it. So I think if you are, are, are wondering if you should switch where you bank, the answer is probably not to one of the big banks. Unless you have a real reason to go there, it's a false sense of security that that offers. And the, the real sense of security comes from the FDIC insurance that's attached to the banks that offer the best perks and the best customer service. So I still love Ally, Discover, Capital One, and CIT. Those are four of my favorite online banks. Pick one, look at the rates, look at the benefits that you can get from being in those banks. They have different things that they stand out at. I want to say CIT is paying something like 4.2% on savings right now. What are you going to get at Wells Fargo? 0 0.02. Okay, that's a big, big difference if you've got money in savings now. Savings, uh, rates on savings have gone up so much. So no, uh, don't go to the big banks necessarily. Do stick with some of my favorite online banks. And if you're with one of the big banks, you might want to actually leave and go to one of the banks I'm talking about, the online banks that offer basically everything better. Do you need to have cash on hand? That's another question. Well, yes and no. I don't want you keeping most of your savings under a mattress because there's other risks there. Plus, you're not earning anything on that money. So inflation is kind of tearing those dollars apart over time. So no, I don't want you keeping a bunch of money on hand. The banking system is more than safe. And I want you keeping your money in the bank and earning something on it. And... I don't want you to go doomsday prepper with your cash, but it can't hurt, I would say, to have a few hundred bucks on hand just in case. Just in case. I mean, in case something happened and your bank shut down over the weekend, and you're like, I need $300. Why not keep 300 bucks on hand? It can't hurt. But no, there's no real need to keep more than that on hand. What about small businesses? Well, I mentioned a few of those workarounds a second ago, but people who have more cash... There's something called Intrify. We'll link to it in the show notes at kfiam640.com slash out of money. Intrify, it's a service that allows you to deposit bigger chunks, like millions of dollars. And then they dis they disperse your funds in $250,000 increments to FDIC insured institutions. By the way, credit unions have coverage too. It's called NCUA. So if you're with a credit union, you don't need to worry either. All right, that's, that's some of the big questions. I want to talk more about the economy. Recession concerns are on the rise. How should you be reacting? We'll talk about that in a second. This is How to Money. I'm Joel Larsgaard. This show is all about you saving, investing, and doing more of what matters. Because, man, what's it all about? Is it about hoarding as much money as possible? No. Like most of us, let's be honest, don't aspire to Elon Musk or Warren Buffett levels of wealth. It's kind of 
every once in a while, it's fun to think about what we do if we if we had billions of dollars right in, in added onto our net worth. But for the most part, most of us we just want to be more confident with our money. We just want to know how to handle it well. We want to avoid the big screw ups, and we want to start to make wise choices to gain more margin for ourselves. That's what this show is all about. By the way, if you're if you want to do that, sign up for the How to Money newsletter. You can go to howtomoney.com slash newsletter, and it comes out every single Tuesday morning. It's 100% free. It is hopefully inspiring and informative, trying to help you know what to do with your money on a weekly basis. So make sure to check that out. And let's step back now from the banking crisis that was mostly averted. There's still maybe dominoes to drop, and we'll keep talking about it on the show as more information comes in. But we're starting to see, and I think this the banking failure started to precipitate more calls of a coming recession. Like I said at the very beginning of the show, economists are predicting, it seems like, a recession fairly often, more frequently than they actually happen. And so I think we, at times we see Google searches go up because we see more people talking about it on maybe the financial channels or maybe on the political news channel you watch. And so people are saying, hey, recession, likelihood of recession is getting higher and we start to freak out. But what should we do? And are the folks on CNBC right? Or are the people that you've heard or the newsletter or excuse me, the headline writers of your favorite news source, are they correct? Well, <laughs> I mean, that who knows? Who knows? And so I'm here to tell you, I'm not going to make a prediction, but I will tell you that it's important to think through what we will do or would do and to be prepared for a potential recession anyway. And why? Well, the truth is, when you look at the numbers, our country experiences a recession roughly every six years, about every 5.9 years. When you think about it like that, my goodness, it doesn't seem like something it seems like something we should be more prepared for because it's going to happen with regularity. Like a recession is not something that we should be shocked at. We should come to expect that it's part of like a, an, an economic cycle in this country. And yeah, some, like we talked about at the very beginning of the show, some government entities and like increase the odds at different times by financial policymaking that we're going to have a boom or a bust cycle. But the truth is like recessions just happen with regularity. And so we should always be prepared for one to come along. And basically what it is, it's, it's when the economy experiences negative growth for two straight quarters. That's the technical definition of a recession. And so what happens Well, unemployment goes up during a recession, it can be a tough time for the country and for millions of individuals. Right now, the job market is still crazy strong. Unemployment is super low. We're still seeing job openings almost two times per person who's looking for a job. So there are way more jobs out there than people looking for jobs. So I think we have to take these recession predictions with a grain of salt. It's not that there isn't potential for a recession on the horizon. I think there is. But uh, and, and maybe there's some storm clouds that we can see on the horizon. Uh, there's investors kind of pursuing safer investing options right now, which we can talk about how you invest. We'll get to that in just a second. But even if a recession doesn't hit us in the next six to 12 months, it's always important to, to pay attention and to be prepared. Also, because no matter what's happening with the greater economy, 
a personal recession could happen at any time. You never know what's going to happen with even if the economy is flying high, your sector gets hit hard, you lose your job. Or there's a personal medical emergency. You've got to take care of a loved one in your life. Those kind of things can happen. So what can you do? I've got a couple ideas. First, create a bare bones budget. Have an idea of how much you can cut back if your finances were to get squeezed in your life. You still got to pay the mortgage, of course, or the rent. But Netflix and takeout can go. So it's important. I, I like this as an exercise. I think it puts a lot of power in your hands. And when you do this, when you create a bare bones budget, when you say, how, how little could I get by in a month? You might even find some unnecessary expenses lurking that you can cut out immediately. You're like, oh, I forgot. I didn't realize I was paying for that. So I would say it's important to do this exercise, to come up with like a bare bones budget. And then, boom, you can implement it right away if things do get tough in your life, whether it's from, again, some sort of macro recessionary reality or it's just a personal one. Second, pad your emergency fund. $2,467 is a baseline goal that I suggest. It's highly specific so that you can remember it. It's going to stick out in your mind. $2,467. But economists have found that this is the number that helps most people be able to weather most emergencies. So make sure you have at least that amount in liquid savings at preferably one of those online banks that I love. But beyond that, saving up three to six months worth of expenses which I'll confess is not terribly easy for most people, that will provide meaningful mental and financial relief. So I want you to do that. Make sure your e-fund is good to go and then start, you know, cranking up that e-fund a little, a couple extra hundred bucks every single month. Putting in that savings account is going to provide the breathing room if a recession were to occur. Also, eliminate high interest rate debt. Credit card debt is the worst. I hate it. I don't want anybody to have it, but... Roughly half of people who use credit cards don't pay them off on time and in full every month. And rates, as the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates, guess what? Your credit card debt has gotten worse. It might be 20% on your credit card now. So prioritize getting rid of it. Make a plan to get rid of it. Don't just say you're going to do it. Make a plan. And uh, a, a website that I like that we'll link to in the show notes, undebt.it. It's a great resource that can help you come up with a plan. You could put pen to paper and just do that all yourself if you want. But undebt.it can help you do like a, a snowball or an avalanche approach, which we can talk about at a later date, which one's better. I like them both for different reasons. But coming up with a plan that you can stick to when it comes to paying off that debt is important. And that is going to help you feel prepared when a recession comes along. Okay, another thing, make yourself invaluable at work. Like I said, we're at record levels of, uh, of employment right now. There's still lots of job openings, but if a recession comes along, folks are going to lose their job. And it's if you're providing more value, if you're taking on leadership roles, if you're checking in with your boss to make sure you're living up to expectations, that can help cement you as a top employee. Meaning you're more likely to stick around if the company you work for runs into financial issues. All right, something else, hold off on big purchases. If you haven't been able to get that emergency fund up to snuff that I just talked about, or if you haven't been able to get pay off that high interest debt, wait. Wait on the big stuff. Hold off on that trip to Europe. 
you know, especially if that bigger purchase means taking on more debt, if that trip to Europe is going to go on a credit card, it's going to add to that credit card debt. I want, I want you to postpone it. I know it sounds awesome, but it, we need to be prepared for, you know, what, what, whatever could come along financially in, in our lives. And if you're putting bigger expenses into long-term debt, even this, let's say you're buying a new car and you, and you put it on a seven-year loan, that's a scary position to be in if, if the economy hits a tough spot. I want you to hold off on those bigger purchases. Uh, start a side hustle. That's another thing. And I think that's a great thing if, if you've got skills where you could kind of hang your own shingle and do that simultaneous with your day job, not in an effort to work 80 hours a week, but in an effort to create another source of income. And maybe, just maybe, if you lose your job, you've got a place where you can go, which is doing your own thing. That other source of income can be your main income if things go bad. Also, keep investing. I think a lot of people think, ooh, if the economy might take a nosedive, I need to stop my investing now. No, 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 no. If a recession does come about and your financial status remains strong, keep socking money away into retirement accounts each and every month. Dollar cost averaging. I love it. All right, coming up next, I want to talk about getting out of the paycheck to paycheck lifestyle. Because if you just heard my tips for surviving a recession, you still feel a little lost. Stay tuned. You're listening to How to Money. I'm Joel Largegard. And I just wanted to quickly mention, we got a couple of articles up on the howtomoney.com website this week. Have a new investing guide. If, you, if you're like, you feel like you're a beginner investor, we talk about investing here a lot on the show and I will continue to do that. It is one of the best ways to build wealth. But if you're like, I need it broken down with like pictures and stuff like that, uh, we'll go to howtomoney.com. It's, it's up there. I also have a new post about cheap dates. So if you're like, oh man, I want to take my my significant other out and on the town, but don't want to break the bank. Hopefully that uh, article will give you some ideas how to do that. We'll also link to those uh, at kfiam640.com slash how to money. You can check those articles out. But we, we've all heard the stat at, at, at some point and the number shifts a little bit. It just seems to get worse every year when it comes to how many Americans can't afford some sort of unexpected $400 expense. It's at least 50% of Americans at this point. It's probably closer to 6 in 10, depending on who you ask and what stats you're looking at. That bums me out. Like, I can't think of many things worse than people not having 400 bucks to come up with. That, because that just puts you in such a place of insecurity and inability when a storm arises in your life. And storms are bound to arise. And so that's why just a second ago, I talked about how 2000 $467 is a perfect amount to save up for. Think about that. If you have that amount, that puts you in the catbird seat. It doesn't put you in the ideal spot where I want you, but at least it means you can cover almost anything that's going to come your way. Whether it's your air conditioner breaks down in the middle of July. You're like, I need a new compressor. <laughs> this is not cheap. Well, you've got the financial backstop to do something about it. Same thing if your car, if something major goes wrong with it and you're like, I got to get it back on the road. I can't get to and from work without it. $2,467 will ensure that you're not up the creek without a paddle. And so I want to talk about living paycheck to paycheck because it's, it, here's the thing. It's not that it only affects your ability to take care of your finances. It, 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 it affects your mentality too. As you go through life every single day, if you're honest about it, if we had more financial backstop, how much worry would it eliminate? How much anxiety would it eliminate? There was a new study. It said 75% of Americans say that 
financial stress is impacting their productivity. You're, we're, being, we're worse at our jobs when we're stressed out about money. Let's be honest. We're probably not as patient with our spouse or with our kids when we're worried about money. And I'm not saying it's easy to get your money stuff together, but I am saying it's possible. And I think the more we focus on that, think about it's not just that you'll be more financially secure. You're going to be happier. There's going to be some pep in your step. This is part of the reason I do what I do because I want to see people feel financially free because, it, man, it's more than money. Money impacts us every day, but it's more than just money. And we all know that. We all know what living with a rain cloud of financial anxiety does to us on a day-to-day -day basis. And I speak from personal experience here. My, when I was a kid, my parents, not so great with money. I was at this incredibly impressionable age. I was 12 years old when my parents filed for bankruptcy. And I remember when our car got repossessed in the middle of the night, okay? So this is one of those things where I know and I resolved at a very young age, I don't want to be there. And I know it's not easy, but it is important, okay? So let's talk about a few things. If you are living paycheck to paycheck, what can you do about it? Well, that bare bones budget I mentioned earlier, that's a good thing to try because I think I want you to first cut expenses expenses ruthlessly now. Like if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you've got no viable savings, if losing your job would be crushing, it's not just time to create the bare bones budget, it's time to institute it at least for a few months to get you some of that breathing room back. And I want you to look at every single expense. Don't leave any stone unturned. Car and home insurance, your cell phone bill. We're going to talk about that actually later on in the show. How can you massively cut your cell phone bill? I'll tell you how. But focus on those bigger expenses too, like rent and your car. Can you move to a smaller place? Is there a way to cut back? Or can you find a roommate? There are all sorts of things. Can you downgrade? We hate that feels like, I know I'm telling you to do something you don't want to do. Downgrade your lifestyle. But my goodness, if... if if it means more financial security in your life, it's important. Consider it. Think about it. Instead of renewing the lease on the apartment that's just outside your financial comfort zone, could you move into that unit that's one bedroom, got one bedroom less? Housing, transportation, and food make up something like 70% of the average person's take-home pay. But we often consider those line items as untouchable. Don't if you're living paycheck to paycheck, if you if you don't have 400 bucks to, to cover that unexpected expense, I don't, they're not untouchable. Okay, they can't be, they have to be. You have to be able to do something about them. Next, track your expenses. What if you actually kept a notebook, and you wrote everything down that you bought? And you don't necessarily have to take the analog approach, but I think that can sometimes be the most impressionable way to do it. It leaves a mark. When you have to write it down and deduct like old school from a check ledger. Do you remember when, when people used to do that? I know checkbooks are antiquated and nobody uses them anymore. But if you did it like that, there was something powerful about that for people. And now we're used to buy now, pay later. We're used to swiping the plastic or inserting the chip, right? And so tracking your expenses is crucial. Feel free to use Mint or you need a budget. I'd really like those online softwares. But if you can put pen to paper, I think that can be actually, that can create even more ability to make change. Also, look to make more, right? If you're living paycheck to paycheck, you got to find a way to bring in some extra money. 
you need a cash infusion. Can you angle for a raise at work? Is there a way for you to negotiate a bigger paycheck or to use the hot job market to go down the street to increase your earnings? Or just a side hustle for a few hours to help you get rid of some of that higher interest debt to get back on your feet. Something else. What can you sell? Hey, it's springtime, people. We're ready for these yard sales. Like, do some spring cleaning. Have a yard sale. Get a few hundred bucks back in your life. Start posting stuff to eBay or Facebook yard sale. Start getting rid of some things. Boy, that's a twofer. You're Marie Condoing your life and you're also bringing in some cash. I love it. Think about that. Also, tricks that help you psychologically. Some people have found that having two separate direct deposit accounts can help. Like you're automatically saving some money. You're not putting it all in, into one bank account and then just like using whatever you want, whenever you want. Man, if you're still like, put, start with 5%, maybe bump it up over, over the year. But if you can start with 5% that's going into a separate bank account that you don't even think about, it's kind of mentally removed from your life, it might help. I mean, living paycheck to paycheck is hard and it can feel like lopping IQ points off. Some studies have found that, that, that being in debt to that extent can make you feel dumber. And like I said, that stat at the beginning, 75% of Americans say that financial stress on their lives is impacting their productivity. If you have really massive financial issues and you need to speak to an expert, nonprofit uh, counselors are, are the way to go. NFCC or Money Management International will link to those two organizations in the show notes. But those are the people that are going to be, help, be able to help you out for free. Okay. All right, coming up next, we're going to get to our money move of the week. This is going to help your kids and their financial future. I'm Joel Larsgaard. This is How to Money on KFI AM 640. You've been listening to How to Money with Joel Larsgaard. You can always hear us live on KFI AM 640, 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. on Sunday and anytime on demand on the iHeartRadio app. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.